0: Boy, today is an exciting day. It's a kind of a culmination. Maybe not as exciting for you as it is for me, but I hope it will be as well. It's about a year and a half long journey for us as a church, and especially the deacons in the process of encouraging me to go out and to find help in this particular area. Over a year and a half ago in my annual review, they encouraged me to find some, some help. You need some help, Mike, in, in, in leading the church. And now that our church is within the next 12 months, we'll likely be knocking on a thousand people in regular attendance. It's kind of, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's been resounding in my head and in my heart that this is something... This is a direction that we need to go. We need help in operations and oversight and leadership development and so on. Just need to expand our ministry as we continue to grow. And I want to say this, because this has come back to me and never anticipated it. Some people have said, well, where are you and Lori going? We're not going anywhere, all right? In fact, we're probably going to stay longer if I have help, because I won't burn out and be in the hospital, all right? So this is actually a, 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 an addition to help out in, in, our, in our ministry that, uh, as, uh, as you have been a part of it all, all along. But as we've been looking for this position. Uh, as a campus pastor. Each campus that we start will have a campus pastor. And As we have been looking for this position, we've looked high and low, near and far. We've looked inside the church, outside the church. We've looked in the business community. We've looked inside the, uh, the, the religious community. We've enlisted uh, church finding organizations. Headhunters, I think you call them in the business world. We've enlisted a lot of different help all along the way, and through the processes of relationships and connections, we have been able to establish a relationship with Marcus Bell, Bellamy and his wife Patricia and the two lovely girls, Faith and Tila. And I want to present to them to you today. Uh, our deacons and myself come to you with a unanimous consent on this. That we believe that Marcus should be our next man. Let me just tell you a little about Marcus as, as he prepares to come and share with you today. That he is actually on a church much larger than ours in Dallas area, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, uh, led by uh, Pastor Tony Evans. If any of y'all have heard him at Promise Keepers and things like that, he's actually Marcus is one of the four executive pastors on their on their leadership team, and he oversees the discipleship ministries. Of that church. So, a church much larger than ours. And one of the main focuses of Marcus's life here in ministry would be overseeing our discipleship development, our transformation development in life. At, 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 at uh, uh, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, Marcus oversees the uh, discipleship ministries from, from childhood through their education system all the way into adulthood. He's also experienced in operations oversight of this uh, very large mega church. Also, uh, he's Tony's. Uh, the pastor, senior pastor, kind of go-to man in in in, 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 in the in the clutch situations of of being. Uh, in one time, Tony was sick and calls him in the, on Sunday morning. He stands up and preaches. He's the go-to guy. And you you know, on any any team, any business, any 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 team sport, whatever, uh, you know that who you go to in the clutch is who you can really depend on. In fact, when I was talking to Tony this uh, just a couple of weeks ago about Marcus. One of the things he said about Marcus, he says, out of all the staff that we have, Marcus is his most valuable player. And so it's pretty exciting to think about uh, Marcus uh, uh, joining us uh, in, this, in this ministry pursuit here. And you think, well, why would Marcus leave such a, a, a dynamic ministry? And I'm going to let him share as you talk with him and have opportunity. But one of the things that he and Patricia both share with me as I was able to go down to Dallas and spend time in their home and, and so forth, is that actually God had been releasing them from the ministry. They felt this kind of release from Oak Cliff, a great ministry, and they felt that release and just have been just waiting for God. And so this opportunity shows up and he latched on to two elements about our church that absolutely endear him and actually drawing he and his family here. And that is our body life ministries, our small group ministries, and the community pastoring element that we have within our church. But then... He says it's the heavy emphasis on missions, globally and locally. He says that that is, those are those two of the draw cards that, that that bring him, make him interested in in uh, in Grace Point. And so, without taking any more of his time, uh, I thought about how can we welcome him. I thought a good oopig Suey would be good, but after yesterday, we won't go there. So, if you will welcome Marcus to Grace Point Church right now, <laughs> we'll round him applause. <laughs> Well, good morning.
1: It is so good to be with you all today and just looking forward to sharing God's word with you. Uh, So excited about being here in Bentonville. Uh, Just enjoyed, uh, of course, uh, this process of getting to know Pastor Mike and Sister Lori and just their hearts for this church, their hearts for this ministry, their hearts uh, for God and to be able to join what God is doing here My wife and I are so excited. Now, we just told our oldest daughter, Faith, on the way uh, to Bentonville this weekend because she is the family reporter. And so literally, if we would have told her any earlier, then all of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship would have known that we were headed to Grace Point. And so we said, well, we have to strategically at least go through all the processes first and then kind of let her know because she would let it all out of the bag early. But uh, the church has been so kind to us. So on behalf of my wife, on behalf of my family, you all have been so kind to us as we have visited. We came a couple of weeks ago and got to meet a number of the leadership team. And then this weekend got to meet many of you yesterday. And we've been so encouraged and uh, we're just so excited about what God is doing here. And God is up to some great things here at Grace Point. And God has some great things in store. Uh, For Grace Point, and we just saw that God was at work and we wanted to join God's activity here at Grace Point. So we're looking forward to seeing what the Lord will do. I'll lead us in a word of prayer and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to learn, to grow, to hear from your word today. Father, we just pray that you open our eyes and ears and that we would hear what your spirit has to say for us. Lord, we just don't want this to be another service, another sermon. Lord, we want to be hearers and we want to be doers of your word. So, Father, we pray that you bless these moments now and that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Mike has been taking the church on a journey. Through God's word, where he's been sharing, he's been challenging us about living our lives in a radical way for Jesus Christ. Living our lives in such a way where faith in God, faith in what God says, becomes our hallmark. People look at our lives, they see that that we're, we're stepping out and we're trusting God and what His Word has to say. And although, from a biblical perspective, that's not radical. Obeying God is not radical, but we also understand that in the world we live in, when we make choices to honor God, to follow God, to obey God and His Word, it looks radical. You see, if you're on your job and and you, you stop and you pause and, and before you eat your meal you pray, if you're at school and before you, you eat lunch you, you pause and say, God, thank you for what you've provided. Uh, if you're at a gathering, a social gathering, and, and people are, are talking and, and using words that don't honor the Lord, and, and, and you're talking in such a way that you're encouraging, there's gossip going on, and people laughing at someone else, and you don't take part in it, it looks radical. It looks abnormal. It looks strange, and people will look at you, and they will look at me, and they will say, there is something different about you. Well, like many of you, I've been reading the book Radical and actually completed it, and I was very challenged. Because, see, my reality was that I don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today I'm going to be selfish. I don't wake up in the morning and say, you know, today I'm going to be about the American dream, my fulfillment, what I want, that's what I'm going to do today. That's typically not how I wake up. I typically wake up in the morning and I'm ready to live for the Lord. But as I went through this book and as I looked at God's Word, I was challenged that there were some major adjustments that I needed to make. That yes, I had all the spiritual lingo, God and Jesus and Bible and all the, the spiritual lingo that you can have. But when I looked at my actions, I was challenged. I said, Lord, there are some areas that you're showing me that that I need to make some changes. In a world that is going a hundred miles an hour, so many things to do and so little time to do it in. For the believer, the question is, what does radical faith really look like? I mean I'm, I'm willing to go to church I'm willing to read my bible I'm I'm willing to pray but but for me what does radical faith I'm hearing this 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 discussion this this discussion about radical faith what does that mean for me You've been hearing about that and a picture has been painted the last couple of weeks as Pastor Mike has been challenging us and we want to build on that today And we want to talk about Radical faith in a restless world. In a world that sends you in in circles, there's there's so many things to do. There's there's so much business to get done. There's soccer, t-ball, there's games, there's on and on and on responsibilities. What does radical faith really look like? Radical faith in a restless world. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and it helps paint a picture of what this radical faith that Pastor Mike has been challenging us on looks like for the life of the believer. Hebrews chapter 12, I'll begin in verse 1. Of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary. Or faint hearted. The writer of Hebrews. Tells us that. In this chapter. Chapter 12. That the Christian journey can be likened unto a race. And if the reader. As they read. Hebrews chapter 12, when they read the verbiage, race, they understood that terminology. Whether Jewish or or Gentile, they understood that if you were competing in a race, if you were running in a race for your country, it was important. It was vital. There would need to be discipline. There would need to be training. There would need to be focus. You have to be serious. You are running this race in order to win, in order to be successful, then you are going to have to be focused. You are going to have to be in training so that you can accomplish the task at hand. And just like those that were running in a physical race, the author of Hebrews says that those who are in this Christian life, this Christian journey, you're, you're going to have to be focused. You're going to have to be disciplined. And a runner would understand that you're going to bring glory to something much greater than yourself. You're going to be bring glory to your country. Those who are in the Christian race, those who are on their Christian journey, you're going to bring glory. I'm going to bring glory to our Creator. Something much greater than ourselves. Well, what does radical faith look like? What does it look like? Well, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a beautiful example of what radical faith looks like in the life of the believer. First thing we see here is that there are witnesses. There are witnesses to. This life of radical faith. There are witnesses. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, well, where do these witnesses come from? They come from Hebrews chapter 11. You see stories like Enoch. A man, the Bible says, walked with God for 300 years. His life was marked by consistent faith. 300 years of being obedient to God. Five verses in the Bible given to Enoch. And this is the way it describes his life. He was faithful. He was obedient. 300 years. What does radical faith look like? It's a faith that is consistent. Day in and day out, and month in and month out, and year in and year out. It's a committed faith. And then you see Noah. Noah, a man that God came to and He said, Noah, I want you to build a boat, a big boat. I want you to build an ark. And that's great, okay? Noah says, I'll do it. The only problem is it's never rained. We've never seen it rain and yet God was giving him instructions. It is going to rain and by faith. Noah had to trust God. He received a task that took him 120 years to complete. But that wasn't enough. Noah would build this ark year after year after year, but then he would also have to face the the opposition from the outside that would be making fun of him, the Bible says. Because he was being obedient, people would come by and say, Noah, you're crazy. What are you doing? Rain? What is rain? Why are you spending your time doing this? You're wasting productive time. You could be doing so many other things. So even in the midst of persecution, Noah was faithful. Consistent faith. Faith even in the midst of opposition. There was Moses. And Moses would grow up in the household of the Pharaoh, and so he had the pleasures and he had the comforts. The lavish lifestyle. And Moses would have a decision to make. Would he be with the Egyptians and identify with them, the oppressor of God's people, or would he be identified with his own people? Moses chose to be identified with his own people. He would later have to come back to the Pharaoh and say, God has has told me that you must let his people go. He would lead a group of people through the wilderness and face obstacles and challenges and be before the Red Sea and Everybody complaining and bickering, Moses, you've led us out in the middle of nowhere to have us killed by the Egyptians. Moses would be faithful and obedient. His life would be marked by faith. There's people like Abraham. God would come to Abraham and he would say, I want you to get up and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Now, God coming to me and my wife and saying, I want you to go to Bentonville is one thing. But if God had have come to me and said, Marcus, I want you all to go to a place that I will show you, it would have been a whole nother thing. We would have had some long discussions. We would have probably gone back and forth for a long, long time. But Abraham would step out on faith and he would say, God, if you say go, I will go. The same man Abraham would wait 100 years for a son. And then God would say to him, I want you to take your son and I want you to offer him to me. What if God came to you and I and said, I want your most prized possession. I want you to lay it down before me and offer it to me. That's what God did to Abraham. He said, I want you to be willing to give me everything. Your most prized possession you should be willing to lay it down for me. You see Sarah, who waited 90 years for a son, she exercised faith. And Rahab, she exercised faith. Yes, she had lived a life as a prostitute. But that's good news for you and good news for me, that no matter what mistakes we've made, God wants to use us if we'll obey, if we'll step out on faith, if we'll turn to Him. God is willing to use us. The beautiful thing is that when God uses sinners, it's all the more reason for Him to receive the glory. All the more reason for for us to point to Him and say, I know it's not me, it's Him. Read David and Samson and Gideon and on and on, story after story of those who are witnesses to this life of radical faith. The question for you and the question for me is, could our names be be listed with those that I just read before you? Would our kids be able to say after looking at our lives that as they read Hebrews chapter 11, they could say, Mom, Dad! The steps of faith that you've taken is so similar to the stories that I'm reading here. You could be in this. Through our lives resemble that type of faith, that type of obedience that God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. You show me the way and I will obey. Yes, there are witnesses to this life of radical faith. And there are also hindrances to this life of faith. There are hindrances to this life of faith. We read in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. There are encumbrances, there are hindrances to us getting to our destination. Now there's the general hindrances that we have in our lives that can keep us from getting to our destination. Now remember this, this passage is talking about a race. It's using terminology about a race. Now, when I run a race, I run in a race, and I show up at a race. I'm typically running this race to win. You know, some people run races just for the fun of it. You know, oh, who cares? Who wins? Who loses? It's just a matter of just running for the fun of it. That's my wife. I run to win. If if I'm in it, I'm in it to win it. So if it's competition, it's yeah, I want to win. So one of the first things I do when I go to a race is I look at the competition. Now, if I look at someone and I look at their shoes and it looks like the shoes that they mow the lawn in, I'm not worried about them. Say, I got them so we can cross them off. If I'm in a race and I look at someone and, yeah, it might be chilly outside, let's say 40s, but. They have a jacket on and wool pants on, and they don't take it off before the race starts. I got them. I got them. And so if I look at them and I see that they have additional things on that are unnecessary for the race, that will hinder them, that will slow them down, then I can resolve in my mind that this is going to be a good race for me. Well, again, transitioning this over to our spiritual journey, a hindrance is anything that weighs you down, that keeps you from accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish. A job could be a hindrance. If you're saying, I would serve the Lord, I would would be in a ministry if I had time. My job, I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm working so long, if I just... When I retire, I'm going to start serving the Lord. That's a hindrance. Well, the Lord blessed me with this beautiful boat. And the only time I have time to get and enjoy this beautiful boat is Sundays. That could be a hindrance. That keeps you out of worship, and you say, Oh, Sundays is really my only day to enjoy, and I've got this boat. Let me get. That could be a hindrance. If you have friends and you're sharing with them and they know that you're serious about your relationship with the Lord and they do everything they can to discourage you from following the Lord, from pursuing the Lord, from obeying the Lord, that could be a hindrance. See, these things in of themselves a boat, a job, a house. None of those things are sin and of themselves, but they can become a hindrance. But then it goes on to say here in verse 1, specifically it lists sin. As you know that sin in our lives can hinder us from fulfilling God's plan, His purpose for our lives, for us to exercise radical faith. God sets a standard in His Word, His truth. And when our lives do not match up to what He says, then... We agree with God and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. And if we choose not to do that, then it becomes a hindrance. Sin can be a hindrance. It can weigh us down. Our thoughts, our tongue, what we say, how we treat others, our lives, it can can hinder us. Spiritual growth, exercising radical faith. There are witnesses to this life of radical faith. There are hindrances to exercising radical faith. And then there's the perfect example of radical faith. The perfect example, let's read about it in verses 2 and 3 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted Our perfect example is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12 tells us that We're going to exercise radical faith. We're going to have to focus on Him. We're going to have to focus on who He is and what He says and what He has done and what He will do. To focus on Jesus Christ. He's the author, which means He's the captain of our faith. He's the one who can guide us through the journey. He knows how to get us there. He knows how to get us to our destination, but we must focus on Him. Many of us have children. There are times I'm talking to one of my daughters and I'm I'm giving her some instruction, and then one of her friends walks up, or there's, there's noise in the background, and the first thing she does, what is she turns around and she starts looking around, and I go, wait, focus! I'm instructing you, I'm telling you something. See it's difficult to focus on two things at one time. Yeah, you can you can try to multitask, but to really focus on on one thing that's the idea it has here in Hebrews 12 that you you've got to be set in in where you're going and focus on the person that you're doing it for. That's Jesus Christ. He's the captain of our faith. He's the finisher. He's the one who completed perfectly his task from the Father. Learn from Him. Focus on Him. If you want to learn how to do it, if you want to learn a picture of what it means, then focus on Jesus Christ. You know, one of the most challenging things about the Christian life About exercising radical faith. Many of us get delusioned and discouraged, and we back away as this thing called suffering and sacrifice comes into play. But again, you see here that look and focus on Jesus and see what God did for you, He endured the cross despising the shame, the hostility that was against Himself. Look at your perfect example. Jesus Christ, He suffered. The Bible says, like He suffered, you and I will suffer. There will be sacrifice. If any man desire to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Jesus is calling us to radical faith. There will be sacrifice. There will be suffering at some point as we pursue the the path, the, the journey, the plan, the purpose that God has for us. But again, it's this thing called suffering. It's this thing called sacrifice that really throws us off. Because when we choose to follow, when we choose to obey, when we choose to... To honor God. One of the most challenging things is that we have set up our course. We have set up our training ground, right? I'm willing to, to live for you, God. I'm, I'm even willing to suffer for you. So let me set up my gym here. And I would have done 20 pounds, but this is for you, God. I'll do 40. And God, I... I would have ran on the treadmill two miles, but this is for you, God, so I'll go four. Oh, God, I, I would have done ten squats, but because this is for you, I'll do 40 squats. But where we really get blindsided is that God is like, I never told you that you would end up on your training ground. Because the reality is, I was setting up a whole nother training ground. You were going to operate on my training ground. And the the obstacles and the things that I've set forth for you, they're going to develop your faith. God said, I never told you that it was going to be on your terms. I never told you that it was going to be how you designed it. It was going to be how I designed it. I was going to design it in such a way where you would have to trust me. You would have to walk on unfamiliar ground. There would be obstacles set up. There would be things designed to strengthen your faith that you've never seen before. You've never experienced before. You have to trust me. If you read Hebrews 12, 5 through 12, you would see that God calls that His discipline. Where He's shaping and forming your character and my character. But He's not doing it on our terms. And the list that I gave you earlier Enoch and Moses, Abraham. Even though they had to step out on faith, It looked as though things worked out pretty well for them. But turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 to 38. Hebrews 11, 36 to 38 as I close. It's talking about these people who've lived lives of radical faith. And it says others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves on the earth. The life of the believer, it doesn't always work out according to how we think it should work out doesn't necessarily work out when we step out on faith. This this picture-perfect American dream of if I obey you, God, then that means all these things are going to work out just fine. Even if I step out on faith, even if it looks bad, if it looks dangerous, that means I'm coming home safe. That means everything's going to work out right. That's not how it always works out. I love what the author of Hebrews says, but it was for the joy that was set before him. Jesus knew why he was doing, why he was suffering, why he was sacrificing. And if you and I, if we, if we know what we're doing it for, the glory of God to accomplish his purposes and his plans. We'll understand, we'll have joy, and we'll realize it's worth it. It's worth living a life of faith, knowing that we are accomplishing what we have been designed for, what we have been created for, what God has niched us for. It becomes worth it. Oh, there are witnesses. Witnesses to this life of faith. Yes, there are hindrances to this life of faith. And there is the perfect example this life of radical faith in Jesus Christ. What will be written of You? Let's pray. Father, thank You for these moments we've been able to spend in Your Word. Learning and reflecting. And God, we just want to take a few moments now. We want to do some self-reflection. We want to ask ourselves the question, what would be written of me? Would my faith be the hallmark of what my kids what my family, what my friends would say of me, my obedient faith for Jesus Christ. My question for you today is, is there anything standing in, in the way? Is there an encumbrance? Is there a hindrance keeping you from accomplishing what God would have you to accomplish? take a moment, and if there is, you confess it. You say, God, I'm willing to lay it down. I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to surrender. If you're exercising radical faith right now in your life, you thank Him, and you pray that you continue to be faithful. Run the race. Well, Father, we are in your presence. May your spirit convict, encourage, and challenge. And may our answer be yes. Whatever step we need to take, God be on the path of obedience, the path of righteousness, the path of radical faith. May we lay it down. In Jesus'
0: name, we